You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast. I am your host, uh, one of your hosts, Jeremy. And I'm Alex. Yeah, we have last names too, but you don't need to know those. Top secret. Yeah. <laughs> it's on a need-to-know basis. We may have command of the bunker underneath City <laughs> Hall, but we're not giving away all of our information. <laughs> I wasn't born yesterday. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we just had a really great interview with uh, Brother Jacob, Pastor Jacob Rayom, also our brother in Christ, yeah. of course. Um, looking forward to getting to that. But before we do, let's do the the business here. What, uh, what do we got? We well, got we, our usual sponsors, right? Yeah, the Upper 40 Studios, where we are right now. Thank yep. you to Tristan. And uh, check out his YouTube channel, The Folklorist. There's always um, music and videos. He's got a Patreon as well. If you'd like to meander your way over there, support Christian art. We also have the Kawartha Classical Christian School as our mm-hmm. unofficial official sponsor. And uh, today was Grandparents' Day. Oh, was it? Yeah, so they had the grandparents in, and they participated in the classes, and they were they the students kind of I don't want to say performed, but displayed some of their learning, and uh, yeah, one of the the benefits of a Christian education is is the value and incorporating of the family, right? Including grandparents, yeah, and uh, you know it's not just a token thing; like they actually came and participated and saw. And the feedback we get each year is the grandparents are just so thankful that the kids, the grandkids get this kind of education. And yeah. and we're thankful for them. Grandparents play a pivotal role. Like we've lost that as a culture, the connection to upper generations. Yeah. Well, because we're not involved on a daily basis. You know, it's like no. Grammy and granddad don't live in, in the, the ensuite anymore. Yes. They're in some home being taken care of by somebody that doesn't care for them. Yes. You know. And so hopefully, I mean, maybe the next generation will start to undo this. There's a restoration of grandparents and grandchildren and the generations together. Mm -hmm. So that's been good. And uh, KorthaClassical.com, if you want to learn more information about the school, we cover your prayers. Everyone who supports us, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we've got a conference coming up. We do have a conference coming up. So February, February 14th. I'm just kidding. I don't know what the date is. Sometime <laughs> Feb- February 8th, maybe. Thanks, man. You really. Uh, <laughs> is it the great... 8th? Yeah, it is. It is the 8th. All right. It's February 8th to 10th in Peterborough, <laughs> Ontario. We are having a our first conference. That's right. And uh, the theme is a call to build. And we, as we look around at kind of the crumbling walls of Christendom. Actually, it, it's crumbled by now. I would say it's yeah. it's a little bit of a dust heap. So here's some names. Stephen Lawson, James <laughs> Coates, John MacArthur. None of these people will be at our, at our conference. Hey, but we do have a good lineup. We, we do got, have a great lineup. We got Pastor Jacob Rayom from Trinity That's coming. Right. We got Pastor Aaron Rock from Harvest coming. We got Pastor Nate Wright from uh, London's coming in. We got the one and only Ben Inglis. Yes. He's going to be speaking. And then we got a good lineup of uh, breakout speakers. Jonathan Wellam's going to be speaking. Pastor Josh Mills from Trinity is going to be speaking. Excellent. Jacob, who writes for us at Dominion Press. My wife and several other ladies from the church are going to be speaking, doing some breakouts for women. Um, so we want everyone to show up. It's limited seating, limited hotels. There are links to the hotels. At the where, they go to, where do they go to register? We'll have a link in the description for the registration page. I hope and so. There's a there's a descri- 
That's your job, bud. We pay you so for that's this. what I get paid yeah. for. Yeah. <laughs> There's a discount for couples as yes. well. So uh, by couples we mean married, not recently dating. Right? right. Yeah. 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 But uh, if you're if you're married, bring your wife. Get a sitter for the kids. Come to Peterborough, and uh, let's help each other figure out what we're going to do to build. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we actually ended up talking a bit about that uh, with Jacob offline. But yeah. uh, what what are your thoughts on the conversation that we just had? Anything uh, sticking out after? Um, I mean, the biggest the biggest takeaway is that the um, the requirement to love God and love our neighbor uh, includes or requires us at the same time to uphold the sanctity of human life, mm-hmm. and that that means there's a prohibition against wrongful taking of human life. And it's actually upon this principle, which a Christian view of war is based, a Christian view of capital punishment is based, a Christian view of self-defense, all mm-hmm. of these things, which require violence, are actually built upon the principle of preserving human life. Yeah. And people have lost that. And and just very briefly, as we have rejected this, we haven't become a culture that values life. No. We've become a culture that hates life, and it's all—it's all in the name of compassion. But yes. it, it actually doesn't lead to uh, more compassionate pe- results. It doesn't lead to more compassionate results. It actually leads to more anarchy. Yes. So essentially, what we're doing is calling God mm-hmm. uh, unjust, and we're saying that we're more just and compassionate than He is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, the end result proves us wrong. Yes. Because we get a culture that doesn't care for life and and does all sorts of wicked things. Yeah. yeah. So we hope you enjoy the conversation. We need to have more of it. And uh, yeah. All right. Well, enjoy. All right. Well, Pastor Jacob Rayom is the pastor of Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo and a friend of the pod. And uh, we're happy to have him on today. So thank you for coming, Pastor Jacob. It's my pleasure to be on, guys. Thank you for uh, the invitation. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you, brothers. That's great. Yes, yes. And we're looking forward to seeing you in person. Um, you mentioned as we were getting ready that you'll be in town in a couple months or so. What's uh, what's going on there? Yeah, we got our first ever Dominion Conference going on on February 8th to 10th. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm Peter. I'm just kidding. I didn't forget about it. <laughs> we kind of want you to be there. <laughs> yeah. Who am I? I'm just some guy. Yeah. Anyway, but, yeah, it would be great to see you in person. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Again. It's going to be once great. Once again. So, yeah. the reason I asked Jacob to come on was because I've been listening to his sermon series, which we will uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to this, to their YouTube channel. Um, Jacob's been going through the Ten Commandments. And in recent weeks has touched on um, topics such as, you know, just war theory and self-defense, the death penalty and civil war, and kind of as an overflow and application of his study of the Decalogue. And so in light of recent events in the Middle East, you know, obviously the Ukraine war has been going on for a while, but now with Hamas and Israel's retaliation and just, it's, it seems the, the chaos that has ensued. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the media and the, you know, wild pro-terrorist rallies. I just thought it would be good to talk about, you know, some biblical principles surrounding these issues. Mm-hmm. And in God's providence, Jacob was <laughs> teaching on this stuff and he was willing to come on. So um, I'll just jump right into it. Um, one of the one of the observations you made, Jacob, that I found helpful 
is that with the Ten Commandments, when there's a prohibition, there is a corresponding positive duty, and that those prohibitions actually carry with them implicit positive duties. You mentioned this in the prohibition against murder. There's a corresponding um, duty to protect and defend life. Um, could you could you expand on this? Because maybe some people haven't thought about this category that the Ten Commandments aren't just prohibitions, that there are implicit positive duties that correspond to them. Right. And that that's the case with all the um, Ten Commandments. And you see it uh, in how they're interpreted throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. So if I believe that the Ten Commandments are the natural law of God, that he's basically, this is the roadmap for life because this is how the world functions. Mm-hmm. But when I say that, sometimes people hear me say, that only the letters written in stone. And that's not what I'm saying because I think the, the applications of the law, the application of the law is multifaceted. Mm. And so if, for example, you shall have no other gods before me, um, well, that's the first commandment. Well, how, how does that apply in, in the, in the directive sense? That's the prohibitive sense. You shall not have other gods before me. Well, the, the directive sense is I shall be your only God, mm-hmm. right? God shall be your only God, the Lord Jehovah. So, and that, and that goes with all the commandments. So right now in my series, I'm on the um, seventh commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery. Well, wrapped up in the seventh commandment is, is not just you shall not commit adultery, but you shall love your wife mm-hmm. and or or how about, you shall not withhold your conjugal rights to your wife or wives shall not withhold their conjugal rights from their husbands. Mm -hmm. And so that that's all wrapped up in there, but it's, but I think there's a reason that the commandments are written the way they are in this kind of very basic way. And one of them is it's it's easier to apply to civil law when you're dealing with prohibitions, Mm -hmm. whereas the principle behind it is much deeper than the civil code. Although the civil it's kind of, it's easier to apply like you shall not commit adultery in a civil code than it is to apply. You shall love your wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, uh, that's should be pretty obvious to figure out why you can't judge someone's heart, but you can judge someone's actions and you can restrain wickedness, which is what the civil code should be doing. Mm-hmm. One of the observations that um, Dr. Gentry made when I was in his class was that, the, and I think he borrowed this from someone else, but is that the 10 commandments are put as, um, that there's prohibitions there, so it's it's the it's almost antithetical to how th- today everyone claims their rights, right? Everyone says I have the right to this, I have the right to that, I have the right to this. Whereas, whereas Israel's constitution, we could say the moral law of God is framed in such a way that there's actual prohibitions. So it's not it's not beginning first and and his kind of application was the law of God is beginning with consideration for others. So you need to think about what are the rights of others. So when you, that their property rights and the rights of their family, the right to their life and God's right to worship, you know, these type of things. Do you think there's, um, I mean, obviously there is, but there's a connection between the fact that we have abandoned the um, Ten Commandments as kind of a moral standard, and at the same time, there's more discussion than ever about people's rights. Do you think there's a correlation between those two things? People just make up rights in midair. I'm a, you know, I, I have a right to this, a right to that. I have a right to a, 
the big thing now you hear about in the media is I have a right to a basic income. Yeah. And and where did that come from? I don't know where it came from. Someone just made it up. Yeah. Probably from Karl Marx or something like that. So, yeah. but but that, that's not a right in the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And and in fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, and if they are the foundation for our civil liberties, so mm-hmm. for example, you have the right to your own property. That's that's grounded in in what the the Eighth Commandment. Mm-hmm. You have you have you should not steal, right? So that mm-hmm. applies to you. That applies to the government. They shouldn't be stealing from you. You have the right to life. Um, that's that's bound up in the sixth commandment. Mm-hmm. You should not kill. Mm-hmm. So that's you know the government's not allowed to murder. You're not allowed to murder. So I have a right to life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a right to my own reputation, meaning that I deserve to be assumed. I, I deserve the assumption of innocence until I'm proven guilty beyond mm-hmm. reasonable doubt. Well, that's bound up in the ninth commandment, mm-hmm. which is um, you shall not bear false witness. So all of these basic human rights that you and I have inherited from our forefathers are bound up in the 10 commandments. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's interesting to know that the big thing that people want to talk about, and, and there's a cultural consensus on this even right now, as far as human rights, if you want to bring human rights to some third world backwater, you're going to give them democracy. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's a right to vote. Well, that's not even in the 10 commandments. Yeah. And that's historically hasn't even been perceived as wrapped up in the 10 commandments. That's a modern innovation that didn't come about until, you know, basically the 19th and 20th century, where we went to this extreme form of of liberalism, where we assume everyone deserves to be enfranchised into the vote. So mm-hmm. um, a- anyway, th- th- I'm a little bit off topic on that, but but I'm, I'm just trying to make the point that if we want to get back to the first principles of human rights, mm-hmm. we have to derive them from the law of God and stop making these things up in midair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, when when you claim a right, you're claiming other people's responsibility to withhold that yes. or to to uphold that right for you. So, mm-hmm. you mentioned the eighth commandment or the, the commandments against uh, theft, um, which is a right for us to have our own property. That does mean other people have a responsibility towards us, and you see that in uh, the Old Testament law, right? If you're if you see your neighbor's donkey wandering around, like you can't just leave it. Like mm-hmm. it's your responsibility to get it back to him somehow or hold on to it until he comes looking. So there are responsibilities with rights. Uh, but like you said, it's perverted because they're pulling these rights out of thin air and they're not based in, in the, in the Decalogue in, in the 10 commandments. So have you found teaching through the 10 commandments? Um, I mean, obviously you believe this conviction, but just seeing the, the utter goodness of God in his law because the caricature and culture, you know, if you were to stand up in the public square and say, we should reinstitute the Ten Commandments as our moral standard and base all of our, you know, laws around this, people would think that you are profoundly backwards, archaic, descending into barbarism. But it's actually the exact opposite. It's like, no, 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 no. The, if we were actually to abide by this standard of God's mm-hmm. righteousness and love for our neighbor and for him— it would actually be a very peaceful, ordered society. You know, it wouldn't it would. be barbaric. It, it absolutely would, because you have to remember that God, when God delivered the Decalogue uh, written in stone, I mean, I believe that the, the Ten Commandments always existed in the Garden of Eden even. Yeah. But when he revealed them to his people written in stone at Mount Sinai, they they had just been released from, from slavery and essentially barbarism. Mm-hmm. So... Egypt was a might is right society where the idea of um, human rights was 
um, a completely foreign concept. So even the idea of Sabbath law, when the fourth commandment is issued, you shall honor the Sabbath day. Well, like they wouldn't have had a Sabbath day in Egypt because mm-hmm. they were slaves. Yeah. And so the idea that not just you, but your manservant and your main servant and your son and your daughter. So not just the head of the household, but actually the head of the household now has a, has a responsibility and a duty to ensure that his slaves mm-hmm. have a, have a, have a day off. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is, that's something that would not be, um, uh, upheld in Egypt. And this was a blessing to all people. And so it, I think that that's like, it, it's a good thing that we have this idea within our culture that there's rights for employees. Yeah. But that of course has been so perverted. Yeah. But that, where is that founded? Well, that's founded in the fourth commandment because mm-hmm. it's, it's an, it's a commandment that is applicable to not just the heads of household, those who are wielding power or those who are enfranchised in the vote, but it, it's applicable to slaves. It's applicable to sons and daughters. It's applicable to aliens, so, sojourners within the gates. Mm-hmm. So these have to be seen and, and received as a blessing. And the reason that we're so burdened by taxes and regulation at this point in time is because we've moved away from the Ten Commandments. And I've said it before, you, you lose the Ten Commandments and you're getting 10 billion commandments that change every day. <laughs> and that's yeah. what that's yeah. what we live under now. Like, why is our... Why is there an entire industry built up around compliance to tax code? Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty obvious because the government's not upholding the Eighth Commandment. They're mm-hmm. stealing from us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about, the apply some of these things to the death penalty, and then we'll go to just war theory after that. Um, you made the point that the death penalty, you, you, you said a lot about it, but one of the things is the death penalty upholds the sanctity of human life. And again, building on this idea that the prohibition is built on a positive duty mm-hmm. and a principle, um, you also said you you made the observation that the penalty for murder is death, and this is prescribed in Genesis nine. So this is this is before, like you said, the giving of the law, the revelation to Moses and Israel. This was the principle that. If someone kills someone, then they deserve to die because mankind is created in the image of God. And I think a lot of Christians, even if they think about the death penalty, a lot of contemporary Christians would think, well, that's mean, that's not gracious, that's not merciful. You know, Jesus died for sinners. And there's a there's a part, there's something understandable about that sentiment, but that they're overlooking the fact that this that 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 the death penalty is meant to will do a variety of things, but one of them is actually to uphold the sanctity of life. And if you right. if you don't have the death penalty, you're not actually valuing life. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's worth <laughs> noting that the death penalty it was universally brought in for all civilizations, expected by God in Genesis nine, mm-hmm. and it was given to. Um, a common father that we all have, and that's Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from whom the nations of the world descended. But prior to Genesis 9, the death penalty had not been expected as a universal standard. Mm-hmm. And so you see that when Cain murdered Abel, Cain mm-hmm. was not executed. Um, and so what happens after Cain murders Abel and Cain is not executed? Well, he has children uh, that become um, a big problem through the civilization of Lamech. And Lamech is a murderous tyrant. And it's this 
it's this stream or the descendants of Lamech that lead, I believe, to the destruction. I mean, you you might want to debate me. I don't know whether you would on what it means that the sons of God married daughters uh, or the sons of God married daughters of man. But mm. I think that the daughters of man in that case are the descendants of Lamech mm. corrupting the human race. And so where do you get in a, in a society without the death penalty? You get a Genesis 5 and 6 world pre-flood world where there's nothing good left except for one man and his family. Mm. You bring in the death penalty in Genesis nine and you restrain the level of evil that was predominant before the flood. Mm. So you can't control people's hearts, but you can restrain evil. Mm -hmm. And so it was a gift of God to humanity that we would, we would receive this, the, the commandment to uphold the death penalty in Genesis nine. So when the death penalty was revoked in this country and it was a process um, that, that we could talk about that if you want, that revoked it. It wasn't a one fell swoop, but I think 1967 was the last time a criminal was ex actually executed in this country. It was hanged in the Don jail in Toronto. And, um, and, and when he was, when that, when that was revoked, you didn't all of a sudden see unrestrained evil in Canada. Mm. I mean, even in the eighties and nineties where we grew up, it was, we prided ourselves in being a safe people. Yes. Yeah. But now, but now you're seeing, um, murders that are going unsolved. You're seeing people defecate in the street. Mm -hmm. I, I was in Toronto uh, last week. There was a guy um, in front of a police station pulling down his pants and changing his pants. He was a vagrant. Um, and, and, uh, and you see the, the drugs are everywhere. And you see, uh, I mean, I don't know if you saw some of the stuff that came out of Brampton mm -hmm. um, on Diwali <laughs> that was floating around the internet. Religious you're seeing people wars. In yeah. Yeah. You're seeing people in broad daylight, um, break into jewelry stores in the mall and, and, and the list, and then sex trafficking is a major problem now that nobody seems to want to talk about, but young girls are, are being trafficked and sold as prostitutes, basically slaves. And so what's my point is we didn't see the result of removing the death penalty right away in 1967. We, in fact, in our, in our childhood enjoyed a fairly safe country, mm. but we are starting to see it now where there is no respect for the law. Mm -hmm. So the death penalty doesn't just restrain murder, but it teaches people that they ought to respect the law mm -hmm. because the law is there. And if you don't abide by it, it has some teeth and it even has the power to kill you. Mm -hmm. Well, I even remember, I don't know how you felt, Jacob, but the first, I remember getting the first phone call from the police related to our gatherings. They left a phone, a message on my phone. And I felt... Um, Nervous, not because I, I didn't think I did anything wrong. So I actually told my family I was just going to go to the station and clear it up. Like, look, I got nothing to hide. I'll just go down there. But I I felt a level of apprehension because I respected the police, but I also feared them. Like, I didn't, I didn't want to, like, there's a healthy restraint on me. Like, I don't mm -hmm. want to break the law. Like, I don't want to be on the wrong side of the law. You know what I mean? And even, That's true. I mean, just even today, I was watching a story about seven teenagers beating to death yeah. another teenager because of over like headphones or something. Like seven of them just stomp his head and kill him. And I'm like, you know, age 13 to 17 or whatever, I'm just like, my first thought was we need the death penalty. Yeah, there's no like, restraint you, you there. Can't, yeah. You can't beat children or teenagers to death and have no consequences here. So, right. And we don't, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, we don't, I don't think we don't, we don't just need the death penalty, but we need public executions. And I think that's why earlier I said, I think the death penalty was removed from us 
um, slowly. Yes, it stopped in 19, I think it was 67. It was the late 60s when it stopped. And, but, but it was removed from the public mind because it was done. It's, there was a generation that started doing it behind closed doors. Mm. Whereas if you go to Mississauga, I think it's in Mississauga, there's a park there and it has a plaque. And it says back in like 1870 something, this is where five murderers were hanged in public. And aren't you glad that the Canadian public has evolved to the point where we don't do that? Because way back then, the families brought their pick a picnic and they brought the kids and they watched the guys get hanged. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think we've evolved in a good way. I think we've devolved. And it would probably do a lot of children a lot of good to see some criminals hanged right now Mm -hmm. because it would teach them that they shouldn't become criminals when they get old. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, back to the original point, um, or one of the observations you made about the restraining nature of the law, and the caricature is, if we stop hanging people, and again, and you mentioned this in your sermon, giving due process, you know, mm-hmm. uh, upholding the standards that are required to establish the fact, you know, even including the principle that it's better that the guilty are are not punished now they will be punished, then the innocent, you mm-hmm. know, suffer. And we we have these principles that are from the scriptures about how we establish these things. Yeah. But um, you you can't say that our culture has become so the caricature is when you're when you're hanging people, when you're executing people, you don't care about life. When it's actually the inverse. It's That's actually right. you no no the only reason this person is being executed is because we are ascribing value to their victim. And when yeah, you actually right. start executing people and requiring a life for a life, what you are doing is you are saying that victim's life is worth nothing. Like that's, that's what you're right. teaching everyone. Yeah. And you solve a lot of social problems. So one of the pastoral issues that you you know you face as you deal with, as you as you get to know people is well, what do I do with, you know, my dad who was uh serial adulterer and mm-hmm. left my mom um, for a bunch of, for another woman mm-hmm. and he abandoned us. And now how do I deal with that dad as an adult? And I got kids of my own. Well, if, if the law upheld the death penalty, there's a good chance that that guy, a probably wouldn't have done it because it would be a deterrent mm-hmm. or two, if he did, he'd be executed. Mm-hmm. So the growing children wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. Or the same thing with pedophiles, like some, Someone in the, well, I got a pedophile who's an uncle and how do I handle this? Because my mom thinks he should be around the family and we should be gracious and loving. And I don't want him around because the guy's a pervert. Well, how do I deal with this? Well, that would be, would have been dealt with if we actually lived in a just society because the guy would have been eliminated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of other downstream consequences to not upholding God's law. And when you think of right. the, when you think of the death penalty, so now instead of executing murderers, We've encouraged there to be more, mm-hmm. so we have more murders, and they sit in jail, and we have to pay for them to, to be alive for the rest of the, their lives. So there's That's like right. a double so the, injustice there, you know? Yeah, the victims are paying for this guy to eat, and he's not contributing at all to society. He's mm-hmm. actually, the, the prison system, which is another topic, is in, is basically making him indolent at our dime. Yeah. yeah. And, and the key here that I, I just really want to drive home is that it's not actually compassionate yeah. to not punish people for their crimes because someone is a victim. And so either you are overlooking the plight of the victim, the dignity of the victim, victim, or you're punishing evil. And if you're not punishing evil, and then you're perpetuating it. Like, what's the stat that Polyev gives? It's like, 
in BC, it's like the same 40 criminals have been arrested thousands of times. It's like every second day, these people are arrested. They're responsible yeah, so for like 80% of the crimes, which means yeah, that career all criminals, the victims. Yeah, and those types of criminals, according to the Bible, are worthy of the death penalty too. Like it's not, it's perpetual repeat offenders is another group category within the Old Testament that would be executed because they're a complete burden on society and they're doing nobody good. And the only good that they would bring to society is for people to look at them hanging and say, don't be like that guy. Yeah. And and the kind of faux posture of the faux compassion posture says, well, that's harsh. It's like, no, no, every crime that he commits, there's a victim. Mm -hmm. So what are you saying? You want 150 victims per criminal every year? Like, that's a face. That's a name. That's a soul. Like the one without compassion here is actually you. The person who says we should have catch and release bail policies where police literally like arrest a guy and that afternoon he's back on the street and the next day victimizes someone. That's not compassionate. No. That's not compassionate. And I think it would, I think it would, like we talk about the mental well being of victims and mental health and all this stuff. I really do believe it would be, it would be good and it would serve. If you want to call it mental health, I don't really like that category because I think it's abused. But mm-hmm. if you want to call it the mental health of victims, so mm-hmm. if there's someone that's executed, or sorry, there's someone that's brutally murdered, I think it would be to the benefit of that person's family mm-hmm. to see the guy hang mm-hmm. that committed the murder. Because now they know that justice is served mm-hmm. and it's been done right and properly. And and there's a little there's a bit of closure to that as opposed to people wondering well for example we got this thing with Bernardo right now mm-hmm. I mean it, it, he's being bounced around they talk about putting him in a minimum security prison and and every time the guy's name comes up in the media guess what those girls that Christine French and Leslie Mahaffey mm-hmm. were their names that were killed their families have to think about this creep yeah. again every time and all the people that were related to them and that knew what happened they all have to think about him whereas if the guy had been hanged. 20, 30 years ago when he should have been, then we we would never have to worry about it again. And there'd be yeah. a whole level of closure to that. And society would almost breathe a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe uh, the woman that helped him with all those has been free now for over 10 years. What was the, what was yeah, she had some type of plea deal and she changed her identity and yeah. you know, she's living the good life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carla Homolka. Wow, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the, um, I guess the principle, just wrapping that yeah. up, is that the law is about upholding the sanctity and dignity of human life, not That's actually right. undermining it. And when you don't enforce the consequences, then you're not actually upholding that value. So transitioning right. now to a just war theory, um, you know, I've done a, I've done some reading on this in the last couple weeks, and one, it's hard to find a solid conservative Christian perspective on this. There's a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of conservative philosophy surrounding this, but I, I found it hard to find good books. But um, you were mentioning in one of your sermons, Jacob, that the Sixth Commandment actually requires war as a means yes. of um, pr- defense, protecting the citizens as the stated responsibility of the state. And again, upholding the sanctity of human life. Could you un- Could you unpack that? Right. So if the if the commandment is you shall not murder, well, the opposite is also true. You shall protect human life. Yeah. And and those who have power and and stand in authority um, over human beings have a special responsibility to protect the people who are under their care and authority. So mm-hmm. you and I have a responsibility to protect our wives and children um, and our 
political leaders certainly have a responsibility. I mean, it says right there in Romans 13, Mm -hmm. God's given them the sword. Like the sword is a weapon of death. It's a weapon of blood. And so God has given them the sword to punish the evil and protect the good. And so there's supposed to be, the expectation is that they're supposed to be using, they don't need to, they they don't need to take that power. They already have that power. They should be using that sword to protect the people under their care, Mm -hmm. um, which would be their citizens. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so even this category for people, like when you think of what justifies war, um, most, I don't know if many Christians would think, well, a war is justified for the upholding of human life. Because they would see the war, no, 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 you're just actually taking life. That's what war Mm -hmm. is. Part of, one of the common threads beneath all of this is just a denial of evil. Like that's what unbelief is characterized by. It's like, you actually are just distorting evil and wickedness and you're overlooking it. And You've never had to deal with anything that wicked, yeah. I guess. And so you don't That's see right. a possible you know, state where you'd need to go to war. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if partly, you know, in Canada, our problem is we've, I mean, a blessing is we've lived a very peaceful existence. Like we're unicorns in world history. We have two oceans and an Arctic and the world's superpower surrounding us, who happens to be our ally. I mean, right. that that is completely uncommon in world history. Like, when the stuff in Ukraine started happening, it's like, you know how complicated that region is? Yeah. You know how many wars they have all the time? No, and, and I don't mean that in a belittling way, but it's just the world is marked by conflict. And Israel and Hamas now, like, this is an ancient war. This is nature and hatred. And, like, when, when you're thinking through you know, just war. And when you're thinking through the death penalty and when you're thinking through these things, it's like you said, Jacob, that God spoke these commandments into a barbaric world. And, and it's almost like we're anachronistic that we look from what we consider our civilized culture and judge that. But we're seeing, look, this, this civilized culture that we've lived in is just a fruit of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And right. and in as much as we've been faithful to his word and applied his law to our society, we've enjoyed that. But make no mistake, might makes right is the principle of depraved human beings and their you know sense of justice. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that's, right. that's where we're going. We're not going to a place. One of the things I I heard Pierce Morgan say recently, he made a comment. Uh, um, I think that Douglas Murray's like, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to descend into like an eye for an eye barbarism, and I'm like, that's a contradiction. Eye for an eye, <laughs> it is. It's yeah. the yeah. anti-barbarism. You know what barbarism right. is, dude? Blood feuds. And I, uh, Blood bar- feuds for multi generations. <laughs> the way of the world is. Oh, you took my eye. Well, I'm going to take your head. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> and your ki- children's head, and yeah. your wife's head, and your village head. Yeah. And like even which is yeah go ahead which is essentially the way of Lamech in Genesis yes I think it's five which is he he kills a man for essentially insulting him mm-hmm. and so that's that's true barbarism that's not eye for an eye if you know so you're absolutely right yeah it's 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 the antithesis to that mm-hmm. um, one thing I think people get tripped up on on the idea of just war is that they still see okay essentially in war you still have to have one person taking someone else's life. Mm-hmm. And so they have a hard time disentangling um, the personal responsibility of the individual soldier. Um, and I think I think of that account in, I can't remember, if it must be in Samuel, where um, 
David is uh, accusing Joab of of revenging in time of peace uh, the, a life that was taken during during war, where he's avenging right. his brother. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's almost like there, there's a sense in where during a war there's a there is a justification for that, but in time of peace, obviously not. Mm. So I don't. Maybe you can tease that out a little. Well, I think more. the issue with with Joab, one of the issues is is the kingdom the the kingdom was engaged <laughs> in civil war and and the man who um, it starts with an A. The name Amasa. Come, not Amasa. He's he was part of the opposing army, and then as a as a as peace, David brought him into his own fold, and he gave his allegiance no. to David. And it, so it, it it would have been fuel on the fire for David to execute him when he was trying to mend a divided kingdom, mm-hmm. and then Joab just went ahead and did it. Um, but he did do it during times of peace, and it was a cowardly time. But I think that. That the 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 soldiers, the very soldiers who are carrying out war, are doing so with an authority that God has given them, and mm. God has given them the sword. He's given them guns and bombs and grenades and knives, and and this is a legitimate function of the state to protect its civilians. And so they're actually doing good, and they're they're not just doing good; they're doing what is expected of them mm-hmm. by God in that particular situation so i it it would be cowardice to withhold the sword and and not plunge it directly into the flesh of the enemy Mm -hmm. at that particular point in time if the enemy is coming to rape your wives and children Mm -hmm. and so you would see pacifism is this it's this it's essentially false teaching and it's a failure to uphold it's a failure to uphold the dignity and sanctity of other people. I mean, it un- it often comes under the guise um, of personally being unwilling to retaliate, uh, but that's not really what we're talking about here. And these things often get conflated in Christian moral thought. They confuse your personal willingness to, you know, turn the other cheek, uh, which we are required to do in certain instances, with you know, therefore we shouldn't have the death penalty or therefore war is never justified or therefore self-defense is wrong. Do you see this as a category, like a problem of categories? Yeah. You know, like there, there is a time to not, to be non-resistant, but yeah. these are in personal feuds. Like yeah. when you start getting into little feuds back and forth, I think that's where you, you don't, you don't want to resist. But when it comes to protecting human life this isn't about tit for tat Mm -hmm. this is about actually you know a legitimate function of authority is to protect human life Mm -hmm. and to use lethal force to do so Mm -hmm. if it's perceived to be necessary in the moment Mm -hmm. and and this is god-given it's all over scripture it's over the new testament and the new and the old testament and um and in the Apostle Paul, he said, "If look, if I did something wrong, I'm willing to be executed because that would be right. And he said that in the book of Acts um, at some point, and I just can't remember the verse mm-hmm, offhand. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, yes, it, it's a total confusion of categories. Mm-hmm. It, it would be wrong for us to go tit for tat, but it would be totally right for a legitimate authority to use lethal force to, to destroy and annihilate somebody who is threatening Mm-hmm. Um, his fellow citizens and certainly his family. Mm-hmm. One of the, I'm remembering the the biography I read of um, Alfred and one of the things that he did when he reestablished kind of the law code 
in England was he tried to put an end to the like the blood feuds that took place that were part of their culture. And again, it was this tit for tat kind of thing. And one of the observations that the, the the authors were making in the book I read on just war was when Jesus was talking about turning the other cheek, he was referring to this kind of thing. He wasn't he wasn't making a comment about the morality of killing in general or the morality of um, retributive justice or something like that. He was saying there's a kind of responding to being wronged which ought not to characterize. Mm. Um, followers of Jesus Christ, which is, of course, absolutely true. But it's it's funny. It's it's almost like the fact that we don't we miss that is almost anachronistic. Like we just we've never lived in that world. We've never lived in that world where when I wrong you, I don't know what's coming down the pipe. Like if I if I sideswipe you, like are you going to show up and firebomb my house? You know, if I if I say something that offends you, am I going to have to fight you to the death? Like we just. I've never lived. I think there. we're we're getting to that to that yeah. place, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what are some principles? One of the things you talked about was civil war, and um, this was a really helpful teaching as well. But what are what are some biblical principles that you think should govern the way we think about civil war? I, there's a few, and one of them is is what is the role of the state, mm. the government, civil government, magistrate, if you want to call mm-hmm. it. And that is, again, Romans 13, punish the evil, protect the good. Mm-hmm. And and then another principle is, is the principle that there is a division of powers. Mm-hmm. There's a separation of powers. There's different levels of government. There's federal government. There's provincial government, in our case, Canada and, and municipal. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, there is a separation of powers between the, the executive, um, the legislature, and um, the judiciary. And so those are all in theory, and the way that our system has been set up should be functioning independently of each other. Mm-hmm. And if they are functioning independently of each other, then there, there comes a time if one level or branch of government is threatening the rights of the people, then it is upon the other levels or branches of government or level or branch of government to defend the rights of the people. And so you actually see this playing out right now in, in Saskatchewan, and it's kind of encouraging to watch. Mm-hmm. And, and that is that our federal government has come up with this carbon tax and they've decided to waive the carbon tax on uh, heating fuels for the winter is for, I think it's like oil yeah. burning oil is the one that they've waved it on, which is affecting people in the Maritimes. So the Maritimers don't have to worry about it because they mostly fuel the fuel that they use out there to heat their homes is, is oil. Well, but it, 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 it hurts the people in Western Canada because they're using something other than oil. I don't know what these are. Maybe it's propane. I know a lot of people around here use propane. So mm-hmm. they're going to be taxed. Whereas the people in the Maritimes aren't. And and the whole idea of a carbon tax is ridiculous anyway. There's all kinds of problems with that, just the way it is. So Scott Moe, the premier of Saskatchewan, has said, we will not enforce the tar- carbon tax in Saskatchewan. We're going to essentially protect our people from being robbed by the federal government. And uh, Trudeau can come and get me. 
if he wants to. Mm-hmm. And so I think Scott Mo needs to be applauded for that because what he's doing is he's taking his job seriously is a separate level of government. He's He's got his own, you know, the legislature in Manitoba or Saskatchewan is separate from the parliament in Ottawa. And mm-hmm. so he's saying, we are not going to participate in this level of corruption and we're going to stand in between our people and the federal government. And you could see how that could potentially escalate. So let's say the federal government says, oh, you think you want to play hardball, eh, Scott Moe? Well, we're going to send in the army and and we're going to make sure you guys out in Saskatchewan comply. And at, at which point Scott Moe, I believe, would be justified to say, I'm calling the people of Saskatchewan to arms and they are going to defensively resist mm-hmm. the army that's coming in from the federal government and call them to stand down. And and then that and then he would be justified. And, and so what what that is in that case the aggressor is the federal government mm-hmm. and the provincial government is taking a defensive posture by, by organizing their people to defend themselves against tyranny. Mm-hmm. And that, that could play out in a million different ways. And it has in history multiple times. And there's examples that I listed in my sermon on it, but that's just an example that you could see realistically playing out today, whether it would escalate to that level or not is anyone's guess, but it's nothing ought to surprise us in the day and age in which we live. Mm-hmm. That'd be sort of like an, an American revolution uh, situation, right? Where the the rights of the people are being infringed upon by a portion of the government and they, they effectively resist that. That's right. So you have a, a level of government in the, in, the, in the 13 colonies that come together and they say, we are being abused by England, the parliament in England. And, and so we are going to declare our independence from England and and come what may but we're going to call our people to arms we have an armed militia here we're going to organize them and england can do whatever they want and the americans were successful and i i believe that they were justified in the resistance they showed they were not the aggressors england was the aggressor and the oppressor and they simply said our government is going to put itself between us or between this other government in england and our people and they did so successfully and that's happened um, mm. at other points in history and even in modern history in the 20th century, it's happened. Mm. One of the, one of the moral categories that's brought up in just war theory is the likelihood of victory. And I think this is actually tied back to the principle of the preservation of life because practically when you lose, you die. Right. So it's like, it may be morally justified as a defensive um, reaction to engage in war, but it might not be wise because the, you know, because what's actually going to happen is you're just all going to get slaughtered. And I think what's going on, not that I know all the details, but it seems like something like this is happening in Ukraine right now, where the world is cheering these people on to face a country with hundreds of millions of more, like a hundred million more people than they have. And we know the Russians fight. They just keep throwing bodies. It's like, what is the end game here? So even if we say that the Ukraine has a right to defend itself, which in theory, every every sovereign nation does, um, does it follow that you need to fight until every last man, woman, and child is dead? And so, so, so there's a, do you agree with that principle as well as considering the cost of the conflict? Yes, I, I agree. And, you have to consider the level of threat, yeah. right? 
So is it worth every man, woman, and child dying, for example, over a carbon tax? Yeah, yeah. Well, right? Well, well, no. But there are instances, I think, where it is worth, you know, this is my hill to die on and yeah. I'm not going down. Like yeah. it's, I'm going down in a hail of bullets. And, and you know, for in the American context, the Alamo mm-hmm. was a, was a sad story where the men decided to defend that fort and they, and they all died doing so. It was a, you know, there was no chance of them winning. They were outgunned, but their noble act in defending the Alamo eventually um, led to the, the defeat of the Spanish army later on in a, Mm. in a future battle in Texas. So, so sometimes you have to die on principle. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to die on principle, perhaps you dying on principle will uh, encourage people in a future conflict when they stand up for the principles that you were, were willing to die on. Mm-hmm. And so this is not a, I, but I do think, yes, you have to, you have to count the cost and some things aren't worth dying for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, in the American revolution, it was, it was principled. Mm-hmm. There was a long list of grievances, but they were dealing, some of the grievances were stamp taxes mm-hmm. and, um, and tea taxes. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the, the British quartering the armies by force in the civilians home would have really raised your hackles. But I mean, some of these things weren't huge, but it was principles. It was unfair taxation and mm-hmm. the people stood up against it because they saw where those compromises lead in the long term, and they rightfully stood up for it. Mm-hmm. And the, and the, and one of the in illustrations that I listed in my sermon was the, the Magberg men who there, there really was no chance of the city of Magburg standing up against the Holy Roman empire, mm-hmm. but they did mm-hmm. on the principle that the Holy Roman empire was forcing the cities back to Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And the Magburg men said, no, we will not. And, and if, and if we have to die doing so, we will defend the rights of our Protestant churches within the city of Magburg and thank God they did because after two years, the Holy Roman empire backed down and the, and the Protestant reformation was salvaged. Mm -hmm. So, and we might not be recipients of the gospel today if it weren't Mm -hmm. for the Magburg men. Mm -hmm. Amen. One of the consequences of, of war is there's always uh, civilian casualties Mm -hmm. and collateral, collateral damage. Do you think there's ever a time where we can think about those casualties as, almost a justified, um, I guess, a judgment. I mean, uh, sometimes calamity falls on a people as a judgment from God. Uh, I think of the calamity that happened to the Germans during the war. Um, I'm sure we can dispute about the bombing of some of the cities, but obviously the civilian population uh, had severe losses. Uh, and I also think about the situation in Gaza with Hamas. We have a culture of people that has perpetuated certain beliefs for so long and it's led to this is there any sense biblical biblically where we could say it's it's justified in some way that you're now reaping the uh, i guess uh, reaping the reward of your uh, of your culture i don't know if well, that makes sense but i don't think you ever want you want to minimize this is part of just war theory you want to minimize civilian casualties and mm-hmm. i don't think you want to um go after civilians much like Hamas did in Israel when they thought, Oh, we're going to use rape of the rape of children for warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, that's totally, you know, violates the principles of 
civilization and just mm-hmm. war. Um, however, sometimes in order to get at the enemy, these things happen. And I mean, not rape of children. That's that's not what I meant. But mm-hmm. I mean, the destruction of civilian life mm-hmm. um, is 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 something that happens when you're having when you have to get at the enemy and people have to weigh this in the moment as to you know what's your long term objective and if you don't pull the trigger on this in this moment what will be the long term results and maybe if we don't pull the trigger then maybe the casualties on our end are going to be even greater and i think the preservation of human life and understanding the biblical principle that's underneath this shapes those moral decisions because when war is untethered from that it just becomes about winning like it, it there there is no moral guidance except for it's a pragmatic decision like can we win or can we not win and then you're you are hamas at that point right it's it's that's right you're no different but in a biblical consideration it's like one we don't go to war unless this is for the preservation of human life and we determine the principles to help us understand that and we wage war in a way that upholds that principle as well and creates, you know, we not unnecessary, um, no unnecessary deaths and certainly distinguishing between civilian and military combatants. Well, let me close on this, Jacob. One more question. And I'll let you get going. Um, my thought was, so you're talking essentially about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, right? You're saying that God has ordained um, various levels of authority, and we ought to uphold them, you know, and even in a civil war situation, the just way to wage that war is by working within God-ordained authority, right? And so it might mean appealing to the lesser magistrate, and there's many examples throughout history of this. But my question is, do you, on one hand, we want to avoid the French Revolution-type situation, Mm -hmm. where... Mm -hmm. Um, every man for himself and, um, you know, essentially judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And, and it, just, was, it was an overthrowing of law. It was an overthrowing Not of an law. Not an appeal to law. Yes. Yeah. But so we, on the one hand, we want to reject that kind of anarchy situation. But is there, can you work your way down um, to what is the role of an individual citizen, for example? So... You know, like for example, my my family in the in World War II was part of the resistance, and they actively opposed. But it wasn't; they weren't a part of. I mean, I'm not sure their connection to the government, the actual Dutch government. But we see it also this in France as well. There was a French resistance. Um, are those ever justified? You know, can you say, look, federal is corrupt, tyrannical. You know, provincial tyrannical, municipal tyrannical. We're going to form, is there anything beneath that? Or is it just at that point you need to accept your lot? Well, I think at the, the, you know, the most basic level of, of government is self-government. Yeah. And so I do think that you have a right to self-defense. Mm. And, but you, like you said, you have to, you have to kind of weigh the odds. <laughs> In the, is it, do you run? Yeah. And hide? Yeah. Or do you fight? Yeah. Right. And, and I think situation will determine that Mm -hmm. maybe it's better to run and hide. Yeah. But you certainly have a right to defend yourself. And then another, the next level of government is family government. Yeah. And so a father certainly has the responsibility to protect his family. So if the tyrants are coming for your children, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Right. Certainly you have a right to defend your children, but you might, you might be better off, you know, 
skipping town yeah and getting getting out of there like they did in sound of music mm-hmm. right they, they just tried to get over that mountain as soon as they could yeah um mm-hmm. maria and captain van trap and mm-hmm. the children so but but would 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 they be justified to defend themselves sure mm-hmm. absolutely they would be and then and then you get families that band together mm-hmm. to defend their you know husbands and fathers and sons that band together to defend their daughters and their sisters and their mothers and i think and i think i, I don't understand the situation as well as the with the dutch resistance but my understanding is there was probably still some type of shadow government mm-hmm. operating in the background and helping these people and resourcing these people mm-hmm. um and and the allies certainly would have welcomed that so I see that as is totally legitimate when you understand that now you have multiple family governments mm-hmm. working together to protect their families mm-hmm. from uh, these tyrants. And I know people in in my church whose uh, fathers were part of the Dutch resistance, mm-hmm. and I think they rightly deserve to be honored uh, for their role in that and their principled stand against invaders and tyrants. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been really helpful. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and I think again, just driving home that these all of God's commands hang on love for God and love for our neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, you will care about their life and you will you will value their life. And in a fallen and corrupt world, um, it might mean you know the God ordained authorities uh, defending the people with the sword, punishing wrongdoers with the sword. None of these things are setting aside a regard for human life, but actually upholding it. And, um, you know, we pray that God would restore a sense of justice in our land. And mm-hmm. and to be honest, we need revival. We need the gospel to penetrate hearts and to turn hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And people go from hating one another to loving one another. And, uh, and, and if that was to happen, we wouldn't set aside the law of God. We would actually... Uh, rejoice and we would uphold it and we would enforce it Mm -hmm. uh, for the good of everyone and for God's glory. So thanks for joining us, Jacob. We look forward to having you back in, in February, Lord willing. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be Uh, fun. And it's, it's, it's good to talk about these things because it's not just theory right now. If, unless there's a great miracle, this is not going to become a more peaceful country. You look at how things are accelerating. And so Christians, need to start thinking through legitimate uses of not just violence, but lethal violence mm-hmm. and, and when that is acceptable and when it's not. So mm-hmm. it's, it's good to be talking about these things and thank you for having me on. Great. Well, I'll leave us with this, our usual call out. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all Kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. See you next time.